Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. We good? Yeah. All right, awesome. Well, we, um, this is what I want to do this morning. We've been talking about, we've been talking about Jesus and his interaction with people and his interaction with us and his incredible mercy and grace for us and how he treats us. What I'd like to do is have you open up to John chapter 4. So this is what you're going to need. You're going to need your Bible. You're going to need the notes. And what we're going to do is we're going to look through, we're going to look through, I'm breathing hard. Man, those announcements needed to be 30 seconds longer. um, What we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at a portrait of Jesus in a conversation with somebody. And what we're going to try to do this morning is we're going to discover everything, every way in that story that sin touches our lives. I know that sounds daunting, doesn't it? But what I want us to see is this. Oftentimes when we suffer, there are lots of reasons we suffer. First, circumstances, right? Suffering is always a result of sin, but it's not always a result of the fact that I have sinned. Let me say that again. Suffering is always the result of sin, but it's not always because I have sinned. See, our world is drenched in sin. It's saturated in sin. The nature of our world is sin. The ruler over our world is sinful. And so the world is full of suffering and destruction and even death. Now, that's not to say there isn't suffering because we sin. There is. But what I want to do is I I want us to be able to differentiate the two. I want us to be able to see what it is that the weight of the, the sin of this world and the weight of it and what it does to us. And in fact, what it did to Jesus. Even though Jesus had never sinned, he still felt the effect of sin. That's one of the things he subjected himself to when he took our flesh upon himself. So we're in John chapter 4. I'm going to pray before we read because we're going to jump right into the scriptures this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray this morning you would encourage us that as we see what this world is like, Lord God, we would not be depressed or discouraged because of what it is and how it treats us. But in fact, we would be encouraged that you, Lord God, would enter in and you would join us in the midst of it. And in doing so, you would call to us, draw us to yourself. You would forgive us of our sin and you would give us victory over sin. So today, may we see you in the word in such a way as to be encouraged and empowered and enlivened. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So the notes in front of you, the front is the the larger paragraph, and it says suffering. So let's take a look at that real quick. It says suffering sin, suffering having sinned. All suffering is because of sin, and though we suffer when we sin, not all suffering is because we've sinned. There will always be suffering because the world is full of sin. Regardless of the reason for our suffering, we must understand that relief, real relief, may not be in being removed from the suffering or have the suffering removed from us, but having had the peace of God instilled in our hearts when we have encountered Jesus in our suffering, whatever the reason. The weight of sin's effect in this world is inescapable as our bodies, souls, and spirits are constantly barraged by the ill effect of sin. Weathering and weakening our bodies, sapping our strength, our vitality, and our health. The temptation of sin to sin, the weathering and weakening of our flesh, our soul, in an attempt to drag us down and discourage. 
And then sins, the tempters, attempt to distract our spirit's fellowship and worship of God and our obedience to God. As sin calls us to live for him, or live for, live for someone, something other than God, the God of our salvation and the goodness of his call. We need, to be, we, we need not be defeated and discouraged or dismayed, but in fact we can rejoice knowing that Jesus loves us so much that he joined us here, suffered with us, and has overcome the world. So that now we who are in him have and overcame, over, have, we have and can overcome this world as he, as he strides here with us, for us, giving us his victory. So John 14, 27, Jesus assures us something. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Now, I do not give the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus is telling us in the midst, he's getting ready to leave. The disciples are afraid. He says, no, no, I'm, I don't give as the world gives. I've given you this relationship. I'm giving you my peace. I'm going to give you peace with God. And I don't give as the world gives. This is not counterfeit. It's not fleeting. I don't give it and then take it back. I don't give you something that isn't real or true. But I give you peace. What he didn't say to the disciples is, I'm going to take you with me yet. What he didn't say is, I'm going to remove you from the suffering as you watch me die. I'm not going to relieve the anxiety and the fear as you wait for my return. I'm going to give you peace in the midst of it. So he goes on to say this later in John. He says, I've told you these things so that, he, so that in me you may have peace... In this world, you will have what? What's that next word? Trouble. Trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Okay, so that's Jesus' promise to us, and it's what he did. Now, what I want to do is I want to go back to John chapter 4. And what I want to do is I want to look at this story. And I want to be, I'll be honest with you. I've, I've, I have listened to this. What I did, instead of reading this passage, because I get caught studying if I read, I, I recorded it and I listened to it over and over and over again. And as I listened to it, it just, images kept popping and circumstances kept showing up. And that's all I did this week in preparation with this story. And my hope is, to be honest with you, that we discover this together. So you ready? So we're in John chapter four. Now it says that the Pharisees has heard Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Okay, this is problematic. John chapter four, verse one, I'm sorry. So it says, the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Now, this is, problem, this is problematic because they were already upset with John for having as many disciples as he had. And there was a little bit of jealousy among the Pharisees and any leaders among the Jews because the more disciples you had, the more successful you are, the more power you had, the more influence you had. And of course, the Pharisees thought they were right, and everyone else around them was wrong. In this world, there will be trouble. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and thank you so much for our first responders. And pray, Lord God, as they respond to whatever's going on, that you would keep them safe and give them courage and wisdom. Give them just a calm spirit, a calm mind to be able to touch lives as they approach what's happening. We lift those who, who they're going to, to see and to help, Lord God, and pray that you would be there and your hand would be among them. And Lord, whoever does not know you in the midst of this, may they come to know you through this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The prayer extends to this one too. Okay, so here we go. 
So it says that the Pharisees had heard Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although the fact, the fa in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And I want to stop here for a minute because we already see a bit of suffering. Religious competition. We see jealousy between peoples. We see differences of opinion or consideration of truth. Already the suffering begins. In the beginning of this story, we see this. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining, and we're going to see what the result of this was. Look what it says. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, and although it wasn't even Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, this is what tells us what was occurring. Look at this. When the Lord learned of this, that the Pharisees had heard these things, he left Judea. He knew this was a problem. He knew that they were jealous. He knew that they would begin to make trouble for him. And so he leaves. He left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee, the northern part of the kingdom. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now I love the way John puts this. It says he had to go through Samaria. See, he didn't really have to. Now the scriptures aren't lying to us here. I'm going to explain it in a minute. But the fact of the matter is, is most, anyone who was like a, a good, upstanding, righteous Jew who, who lived according to the law as the Pharisees taught it would never step foot in Samaria. They wouldn't. And in fact, they wouldn't, there, was, there were rabbis that would tell you that if even the dust of Samaria would get on you, you had to go ceremonially clean yourself. Okay, so Samaria was seen as an unclean place. So, and there were unclean people there. So the fact that John would say that Jesus had to go there was really more a matter of Jesus' conviction than it had to do with the cultural norms. In fact, it was the very opposite. Jesus was making a point. First of all, he's saying to the Pharisees, I'm not going to get caught up in your competitive banter and arguments and debates. I'm not going to allow you to discourage me or my disciples. I'm leaving. The second thing is he didn't have to go through Samaria, technically, but he did. He did as the Son of God. He did as the Messiah. He did as the merciful, loving God that he was. He had to go through Samaria. So he would have, you know, so the average Jew or the righteous Jew or any upstanding Jew would have actually crossed the Jordan, gone up the Jordan and back across the Jordan to get into, to get into Galilee, not Jesus. He had to go to Samaria. So we're, so we're seeing the beginning of more suffering. We're seeing bigotry. We're seeing hatred. We're seeing loathing. We're seeing, we're sniffing now hypocrisy. That the good Jew who brings the righteousness of God to people and are supposed to be the model of God's righteousness and love are actually the purveyors of bigotry and prejudice and hate. And the suffering begins to build up in the story. Look what it says. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, and although it was, in fact, was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples, when the Lord learned that the Pharisees had discovered this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now I'm going to stop here for a minute, because what I want us to see is this. We, we've already mentioned some of the things that people suffer in the midst of this story, things beginning to just pop off the page as you understand the culture and the time and the place and the people, the religious practices of the day, the competition, the jealousy, and the envy between the leaders, the bigotry toward peoples, and the callousness toward the condition of their souls. All of this is already on display in these first two paragraphs. 
What I want us to see is this. Right now we see Jesus defeating this. And so in the midst of this, we know that Jesus is suffering because we, see that, we know that Jesus' heart goes out to everyone involved here. But what I want us to see next is how the effect of sin in our world actually touched his person. Because he did this on our behalf. He did this for us. Look what it says now. It also tells us the type of suffering, another type of suffering, that we can suffer ourselves. So it says, when a Samaritan, okay, I'm sorry. So it says this. He said, now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, what's that next word? Jesus what? Jesus what? Tired. Don't you love that? Jesus, tired from the journey. Stop. He was tired. Anyone ever get tired? Just fatigued? And whether it's an actual journey where you walked or you drove or you rode or whether it's just a journey through a day or a journey through a trial or a journey through a, a, journey through a difficult circumstance or relationship... When in the, midst of the, in the midst of that trial, what happens? You just got to go what? Sit down. Man, you're just tired. See, Jesus' body was not immune to the effect of sin in the world. And the type of suffering that he suffered here is fatigue. Tired from the journey he sat down. But we also know that it's not always the physical stuff that makes us so tired. It's the mental anguish. It's the conflict. It's the stress of relationships. It's the disappointment in someone's behavior or attitude. It's having to explain yourself for the 10th time. Anybody ever get tired by those things? See, that's suffering. And that's the effect of sin. And it's what Jesus came to experience here with us so that he would know us. He would be able to sympathize with us. He would show us that it could be overcome. That he would overcome it and he would enable us to overcome it. So Jesus is tired from the journey and I, 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 as much as I know he was tired from the walk, I refuse to use that word only in the, in the matter of his feet. But I think his very person was tired. He was tired from the journey. Look what it goes on to say. It says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from the journey, so he sat down. It was about the sixth hour. It was about three in the afternoon. Now, I want to stop here for a minute. I want us to take into account what it is at three o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, so we're in a desert region, okay? And he's been walking with his disciples, and it's three in the afternoon. Any idea what may have made him tired? How about heat? The, the height of the day, the height of the sun in the day. Three o'clock is the hottest moment of the day. So Jesus has come up upon this well. He's exhausted from the walk. The heat has been on him. The relationships he's, he's, he's been having to deal with are stressful. It's the heat of the day. He's exhausted. Now, that's important for us when we look at the next line. It says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, stop. What did the, American, what did the Samaritan woman come to do? Draw what? Water. Mm. 
Notice nobody seemed to be at the well other than the woman. Jesus, Jesus sitting there and then the woman coming. There's nobody else mentioned. There's nobody else there. You know why? This is not when you come to draw water. Why? It's the heat of the day. When you draw water is just after sunrise, sometimes just before sunrise, or later in the evening when it's time to clean up. No one would go at three in the afternoon. So this woman shows up at three in the afternoon to draw water. That gives us some indication of some things. And we're going to see it verified later. You know when you've struggled with people or circumstances or maybe your reputation isn't what you hoped it would be and you know you have to go somewhere and so you try to avoid the what? The crowds? So you went at three in the afternoon because you knew nobody would be there. Because nobody in their right mind would carry water around Samaria at three in the afternoon. This woman was suffering. Now on the surface, we can certainly say she was suffering from thirst, she was going for water. But she was also suffering from heat because it was the heat of the day. This had made Jesus tired and he had to sit down. Now this woman's coming to get water, doing work at this hour. Didn't expect to see anybody at the well. And now she's suffering from, oh, shoot, there's somebody at the well. You know that moment you thought you were going to get there all by yourself? You know, and you're, you go to go in and you realize, oh, oh there's, oh, I'm going to see, right? So you imagine how her stomach tightened up when she came around wherever she had to come around. Jesus is sitting there, so, you know, you, he might have been hidden just a little bit. And you, she begins to bob around the well and she's like, oh, really? Really? Come on. Anybody? You know what that is? Suffering. That's suffering. Now, some of it's suffering just because it's circumstantial, but some of it's suffering because of what we do to ourselves. Mm. So, so far, we've seen suffering that is caused by other people and other people's sin. We see, we see suffering that is caused by culture. We see suffering that's caused just by the fact that the, the earth is hot at three in the afternoon. Most of which is the suffering that Jesus is suffering isn't something he did. He didn't sin, but he's suffering the effects of sin because he is being impacted by everything that around him. He is suffering for everything that he's being exposed to. And yet he had not sinned. And so now he's tired from the journey. He's sitting by the well. And you know what? He might have wanted a minute by himself. See, the disciples went in to get food. You know that minute when you've been ministering all day long, you've been dealing with the people, you've been raising kids, you've been running the classroom, you've been doing all kinds of things, and you finally get that minute where you just want to sit and flop and breathe for a second, and you don't want to see anybody? Maybe Jesus was there. Because I know at three in the afternoon, after I've been working all day long, and I've been dealing with people and my disciples being idiots, I send them away, and I just want to sit for a minute. Just give me a break. Sheesh. So I'm not sure that Jesus is real thrilled to see this woman come around the corner either. And they look at each other and it's like, oh man. Because ah. here's the deal. Jesus wore flesh and his flesh was tempted just like my flesh is tempted, except he didn't sin. Which means when you get a moment alone, when you've been just inundated with people and problems and you got a minute by yourself and somebody shows up, what's our first, our first gut reaction is, no, please go away. Please, no, not you, not now. So imagine the suffering. This is like a round robin of suffering. 
So the Samaritan woman, so, so it, was, uh, it was about the sixth hour, verse seven, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Would you, oh man, I'm just parched. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So Jesus is suffering from what? Thirst. Is it because he sinned? No. It's because of the effect of sin on this world. Here is the spring of life himself, and he's what? Thirsty. And where did the disciples go? What's that parenthetical line after that? He sent the disciples to do what? Go get food. Why? Because he was hungry. You know what hunger is? Suffering. Did Jesus sin, therefore he was hungry and suffering? No. Jesus was suffering from the effects of sin. See, we suffer for lots of reasons. And frankly, most of the suffering we suffer, we didn't do to ourselves. We suffer because we live in a world that's overwhelmed by sin. We live in a world of destruction and chaos. We live in a world that breeds death. Most of the suffering we suffer isn't anything we did to ourselves. It's not sins we committed. It's sin that exists around us and batters against us. I want to make sure we make this clear because when we talk about the need to overcome sin, it's not just what we do. Neither is everything I suffer because I sinned. And a lot of us think that, that God is paying me back for something. No, no. Now, there are consequences when I sin, and we're going to look at that in a moment. And in fact, what we'll see is the fact that she's there at three in the afternoon, it's, it's hot, that's not her fault, and it's not hot because she sinned. But she's having to go to the well at a time when it's hot because it's a consequence of her sin. So there are two things we need to look at. Sin exists. Sin is real. The reason Jesus died was for sin And then there are times we sin or commit a sin, and there are consequences that come with that. Then it's necessary for us to recognize our sin. It's to be convicted of our sin. Conviction is actually an act of grace. I don't know if you knew that. That God would see sin in you that is taking you down, that is causing you consequence, and he speaks to your spirit about it, but by his spirit and by his truth, for the purpose of not not to punish but to draw us back, to say, hey, I love you. I don't want to see you go there. I don't want you to continue to live the consequences of that attitude or action or behavior. And it's these two worlds colliding that I want us to see in this story. And I want us to see even the one who had never sinned still suffered from the effects of sin. And there is one here who's suffering the effects of sin And some of it is just because of sin in the world, and some of it is because of the consequences of her own sin. And we suffer both. But Jesus gives us victory. So here we go. You ready? Remember he said, there will be trouble, but I have overcome the world. Not the earth, not this physical thing we live on. The world that we live upon this earth. Okay, so here we go. What verse was that? 10? We'll go to 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are, oh, seven. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why is this important? 
Jews didn't associate with, with, with Samaritans, and men didn't associate with women. Look what it says. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her. Jesus begins to, to move into her suffering, into her ignorance, into her fear, into the prejudice, into the, the, the conflict between the Samaritan and the Jew. Jesus begins to insert himself. Look what it says next. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This thirst that we're both suffering from is merely the, 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 the result of the effect of sin on us th from, from this world around us. I'm telling you that I am the one who can bring you living water, who can relieve your ultimate thirst. Because you're here at three o'clock in the afternoon to get water, not because you're thirsty, but because your soul is so parched and your actions have harmed you in such a way that you had to come at three o'clock in the afternoon. And so the thirst that I wanna relieve isn't just you having to come get water. I want you to be able to come with your head high at nine in the morning to get water. Because what I wanna do for you is I wanna confront you about your sin, not for the purpose of punishment, but to say to you that there's a Father in heaven who loves you, who knows you, who's calling to you, who wants to forgive your sins, who wants to renew you and refresh you and empower you and enable you now to stand with dignity because the living God knows you and loves you and then come to get water when everybody else does. See, that's what Jesus is looking to do. And this is what he's looking to do in each and every one of us to give us the strength to overcome this world and its effect of sin on us, even though we didn't sin. I didn't deserve that. I didn't do anything. Why in the world did that happen to me? Because of sin. God didn't do it to us. This is a broken, broken place. What God did was come into the midst of it. Jesus came into the midst of it. He suffered the effects of sin. He suffered among us. He suffered pain and hunger and thirst. He suffered conflict and relationships. He suffered indignity. He suffered... He suffered just like we suffer. And he did it to meet us in it, to walk us through it with dignity. That he would dignify us by calling us to himself, forgiving our sins, and calling us his brothers, his sisters. That's the overcoming. But there's also the fact that, that there is sin we commit. And there's consequence that comes with that. And although it's not the woman's fault that it's hot at three o'clock in the afternoon, it is the consequence of her sin that caused her to have to come at three in the afternoon. Here's the deal. We have to stop. I'm gonna just finish this next sentence up. The rest of this you can take home with you. One of the things we want to do today that I want to make sure we have every opportunity is as we finish this up and we take communion, we're going to extend worship out after communion to have an opportunity to pray. Whether we pray together in the pews, whether you come forward, we have people up here to pray with you. We want to have that opportunity. So we're going to extend worship after communion to allow us to continue to worship, to come for prayer if it's something we would like to do, or to pray with one another. So I'm gonna close this part up before we move forward, but this is what I want us to see. We have a God 
who didn't just stand aloof above and mock us for our pain or condemn us for our sin and punish us arbitrarily. We have a God who saw us and had mercy on us and decided to join us in the midst of our suffering, that he too would suffer, that he would feel the effects of sin even though he did not sin. And even when he meets us, and he meets us eye to eye in the consequence of our sin, you know what he does? He doesn't punish us. He doesn't throw us. He doesn't judge us and throw us away. You know what he does? He calls us to himself. He says, now here's my grace and here's my life for you if you'll receive it. How do I know? Let's finish this part of the story. Verse 10, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and the one who it is that asks you for a drink, you would ask him, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He would have given you life. Sir, this woman, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. This is hard. Where can you get this living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob? Now here comes the suffering of religious and theological debate. Who gave us this well and drank from it himself, so as it is sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. That's why we know it's not his, her physical thirst that he's here to satiate. But whoever drinks the water I give him or her will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. That their soul, their parched soul, would be drenched. The woman said, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. Ready? He said, Go call your husband and come back. Mm. Go! Now we're thinking that's not very nice. Now, you might not know the story. Let me show you why it might not be very nice. You ready? Ben, go ahead and get in place if you would, please. Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you're with now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. I'm going to skip this next segment. She goes ahead and she changes the subject very quickly, as most of us would. Oh, you know, when we worship, we go here. And when you worship, you go there. Yeah, okay, let's, let's argue about religion for a minute. Not, okay, so... Jesus declared, believe me, woman, verse 21... A time is coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain, as you Samaritans do, nor in Jerusalem. Go to verse 25. She says, I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, who you speak to, who speak to you, am he. Go down to verse 27, if you would. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, more suffering. But, now one, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Look what it says now, and I want to make sure I got to this this morning. Then leaving her water jar, a different thirst had been met. She didn't even think about taking water back with her. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who did what? Told me any, everything I ever did. 
Could this be the Christ? Why do I want to make sure we get to that line? You know what I want to make sure in this, what we're doing when we sit in our seats today? That we're going, phew, I've not had five husbands. I've not had five wives. You know what the woman recognized? That as she encountered Jesus and his righteousness, his holiness, his mercy, his grace, his love, and his honesty, and he pointed out one aspect of her life that was causing her great consequence, she saw everything that she'd ever done. She knew it wasn't merely the fact that she'd had, what did she say? He told me everything I'd ever done. That's how gracious our God is. That he speaks right to the heart. And he goes right to those things that are causing us grief. Right to those things that are causing us chaos. Right to those things that are destroying our lives. Right to those things that are costing us the consequences of their actions. Right to the things, if we refuse him, that lead us to death. And he's saying, no, there's life here. There's life here. There's life here. And I am that life. And if you'll receive what I have for you, yes, I will reveal everything you've ever done, but that's my grace because now I will forgive you of everything you've ever done. And I will forgive you of everything you will ever do. Walk with me. Walk with me. So suffering exists because of sin. But not all suffering is because we sinned. But there is suffering that that we do because we've sinned, and that's called consequence. And in each case, the Lord says, I have overcome this, and I have life that I'm giving you, and I am guiding you toward my kingdom, and I have made you righteous, and I love you. Come to me. Come to me. That's what he said to this woman. Come and I will give you water, a well. You'll never be thirsty again. As we prepare for communion, there are two things that I want to keep in mind. One is this one who would meet us um, at the Samaritan well. That when we show up at three o'clock in the afternoon because we were, because of the consequence of our sin, we don't dare go at the time when anyone else might go. He meets us there. He looks us in the eye. He dignifies us. He speaks to that truth and he draws it out from us. The second is that a lot of us are suffering in ways that had nothing to do with anything we've done, but it's because we live in a world drenched in sin. As we prepare for communion, I would pray that the Holy Spirit would move in us in such a way as first of all to reveal those things in us where there is consequence that we might ask for forgiveness and he might deal with us there. The second is that we would lift up the prayers for people around us who are suffering, not because of anything they've done, but because of the world that is. And that they would have a spirit in them that enables them to see that Jesus has overcome this thing. And after we take communion, as we worship, if you feel led that there's specific things that you'd like to have prayed for, please come forward. We'll have some people up front to pray with you this morning. And if not, that's fine. You just keep worshiping. And then we'll close the service. So as we sing this song, I pray that we would pray. And as you're ready, come and get the elements, take them back to your seat, and we'll take them together. And then we'll move forward. Let's stand and sing. One of the things the book of Hebrews says is that he came here that he might sympathize with us, but also that we might be able to relate to him. That he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters, that he suffered as we suffer for the purpose of camaraderie and relationship and knowing, and not just a little, down to the depths of his being. 
The one who did not sin became sin for us. He suffered among us. And one of the places he suffered was at this meal. I can imagine him looking around the table and seeing his friends and knowing what was going to transpire next, knowing what he had to say to them and what they were going to see. But in Hebrews, it also says that there was a joy set before him that caused him to endure, that there was something beyond the suffering that would be so great and so wonderful that he was able to overcome and lead us in the overcoming. So at this meal, it says he took a piece of bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Please eat it in remembrance of me. And after the meal, he took a cup. He said, this is a new covenant made in my blood, a promise to you. Drink this and remember me. We're going to continue to worship. I'm going to ask those of you who have been asked to, to help us pray today to come forward. As we worship, if for whatever reason you would like a, a time or place to pray, please come forward. If not, continue to worship. There will be somebody upstairs too for you. Let's continue to sing. want to say too before we continue on worship I don't I don't see this uh, church as much a church as it is a family and um, what I mean by that is of course we're the church and this is a church building and all, yada 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 but I see you guys as family and I know some of you really well I know some of you kind of well and I don't know some of you at all but um, our hope is that we're brothers and sisters in Christ here so um, this time that we're up here is just a way to love one another and love you and to be loved. And so we got folks here that are willing to pray for any and all needs, physical, spiritual, emotional, to the best of, that God gives his grace to allow us to do that. And if you'd like to pray for one another while we're worshiping in your seats, that's fine too. But I just wanted to encourage you guys, this is just an act of loving one another. And Christ works through us. And not to be thinking this is some sort of performance or being bashful, but look at this as a family reunion, and you're coming down to talk to Aunt Betty and Uncle Dave and let them know what your needs are and allow them to pray for you. But I love you guys. I just wanted to say. God bless you, Mosaic. Have a wonderful week. Walk with Jesus. See you later.